on SENSA, welcome to The Sandful Show. Fierce rivalries, nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. Jared Walsh and Dan Menzel with you on SENSA. As you know, fierce rivalries, nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. And as I say, good afternoon to you men's. It was a celebration of South Australian football over the past seven days. The Kia State game, it was a nervy one to watch, but um, South Australia getting the job done over the Sand Gropers once again, which is brilliant. It was brilliant, Walshie. They're always tough games and uh, they're, they're tough contests that it just felt like an arm wrestle all day. And, and Western Australia was good this year. They were good last year with a very solid and experienced team and they brought a similar team over and we saw that on the weekend. And it was an impressive win from the South Australian team. It uh, gives them a two game lead 50 to 48 overall now and uh uh, I guess you you were pretty close to it. You'd have uh, obviously enjoyed the experience and seen a lot of things that happened behind closed doors. Yes, I'll get to that in a moment. I wanted to know what you did on your weekend off, though, because you didn't have to play any host plus Sandful League. So before we get into our review, what did you do? I got over to Melbourne for the weekend. I um, My business, MTMF, I've got some apparel and a few other things over there. So when I get a weekend where I've got a bit of time, I can do a few things business-wise. So drove over and then drove, drove back. Drove over? Driving in about three or four days. How many stops do you make on the drive over? Will you go stop and have a, a pie at Keith or go to Bordertown or what do it's, you do? I love this chat with people who drive over from Melbourne and back. Yeah. Where'd you stop? And everyone goes, oh, usually it's Horsham. Yes. Um, that's the main hub. But Horsham's not middle of the way. It's closer to Melbourne. So I would say we went. We stopped in Bordertown mm-hmm. uh, and then we probably stopped in Keith a couple of times over and back. So uh, I had my uh, partner, my fiance Ash, with me. So, yeah, you've got to say fiance now. Yes. Uh, so she'll love that. So she maybe a couple of toilet breaks, extra toilet breaks in there as well. One of the things I've noticed is some of these um, country toilets is they still believe in graffiti on the toilet doors. So you go have a look and you see what people have written. Remember back in the old days when people used to take texters in and write on the toilet doors? I never did that. But it's funny just to see some of the things that have been left over because a lot of people do that. There's also Sister Rocks when you're driving over to Victoria that has all vandalism and graffiti over them. So there's there's lots to do on the drive over there. And it's not that long. I mean, now with people can listen to the Sample Show podcast if they want. There's most of the drive done. 100% podcasts get you through on those sort of drives and you're right Melbourne to Adelaide's not bad when you're going Adelaide to Sydney or even Melbourne to Sydney it's a bit more of a challenge but Melbourne to Adelaide easy all right let's get into our week in review writing your performance review it says more about me than you it's morally defeating and often misleading but this is the best we can do so here we go Okay, men. So Friday afternoon, uh, there was a, a smallish crowd there. I'm, I'm sure we always expected more people to go along. It was an uh, an uncomfortable time slot, but it, it's unavoidable when you have the the team that wants to play on Adelaide Oval. And if that's the only available slot, it, it also has got to work in with the AFL fixturing too, I think. It does, which is challenging. But I love that you brought that up because I think it's a great talking point. Do we have it as a curtain raiser, a three o'clock game on a Friday afternoon, mm. or do we have it as a Saturday night standalone game? Yes, it might not be at Adelaide Oval, but it might be at another ground around the state. Uh, I think it's an interesting debate. What do you want to do as a player? Because the the conversation that I was brought into on the Thursday night in the McGarry room where I was lucky enough to be alongside Tim Ginever where the Guernseys were presented to the players and 
the players were excited that they got to play on Adelaide Oval because a handful of them hadn't before. Unless you play finals or you play for Adelaide or Port Adelaide, you're not going to get the opportunity to play on Adelaide Oval or unless you face them. But then you have the risk of playing against a smaller crowd than if you were playing at a suburban oval, which are, a lot of them now have been upgraded. The facilities are outstanding. From a player's point of view, you've played on Adelaide Oval. So where's your mind at now? I think as a player, you still want to play at Adelaide Oval. The curtain raiser is still the go. I, I think for the fan, it's probably not because they obviously want to get along to the game. I would say to South Australia and Western Australia, fixturing going forward when you can, look at it and have it on a Saturday or a Sunday where you can get people to go along to the game. They're not working on a Friday mm. afternoon. I think that's the challenge. A lot of sample fans would have loved to have got along, but they're at work on a Friday. So as a player, I still think it is play at the biggest ground, the biggest venue, and then go from there with the crowd. But I think that, yeah, you want to get it on a weekend. It's good watching the game. South Australia were pretty inaccurate um, and uh, especially in that last quarter when I was just waiting and waiting for them to get the job done um, the the first half I was nervous watching WA because they, they played really well. I could hear and this is the beauty of not many people being at the ground when the team runs out so both teams ran out onto the ground before the gates were open at Adelaide Oval so WA ran on and I could hear the excitement that that team had. I think they were looking at the lighter side of the fact that Adelaide Oval was empty at that point, and they were just going, hey, anytime, anywhere, we'll just beat anyone. And um, the energy that they played with in that first half, I, I was quite nervous as an SA person. Yeah, they were impressive. And, and you know that when you're on the road, you've got to drive your own energy, and that's certainly something that they did. And I was quite uh, surprised and impressed with how they played. They, they flicked the ball around a lot. They mm. handled the ball a lot. They had an extra 20 handballs than South Australia, and South Australia had an extra 30 kicks. So it showed a difference in the game plan, which I'm also very interested to ask Twig Rawlings about. Yeah. Uh, but they were good, and it was very similar last year, where it's just that arm wrestle, and we got up late last year. The same thing happened this year as well. So it was a, a really good game and some good players as well on showcases as, as well, which is great to see. Let's talk about the Foss Willie medalist in James Rowe from Woodville West Torrens, your teammate. He was presented the medal by Mark Williams, so it was really nice and fitting to have Choco at Adelaide Oval in the lead-up to the Melbourne game, and he's part of that that coaching staff and the, the football program. James is an interesting story because he played well as a midfielder. He did really well. He obviously kicked a goal and celebrated in his traditional Jimmy Rowe kind of style. I think even if the team was down by 10 goals, he would have celebrated, which we love. We need, <laughs> yes. we need the energy. Passion. But for him, I think it was a really nice moment. From the interviews that I've heard from Jimmy post that, uh, of, the, of the understanding that he still is really – unsure why he's not on an AFL list. I don't think that was communicated to me in the best way why he's not playing for Adelaide anymore. So there was a little bit of redemption there of having the pride of wearing the Guernsey, but also being voted best on ground. Yeah, exactly that. It was great to see Jimmy play so well and get that recognition uh, and played Adelaide over where he played a lot of his AFL footy mm. over the last couple of seasons. Uh, it's one that, it's a really interesting one. He, he had two years at the Crows. Uh, he played 36 games in those two years. Now, if any, if you told anyone that someone had played 36 games over two years in AFL club, they're almost certainly going to get a contract mm. the next year. So it's one that they've gone in a different direction. It is surprising. It was surprising for us. Um, Look, Jimmy, we obviously know his dad's in the media. He doesn't love the media stuff as much. And I think because of the landscape of the AFL, you sort of understand that it, it can go different ways for you as well. And so 
He's come back to sample level and just tried to enjoy his footy. Tried to. There's less pressure, which I know he loves, and uh, less expectation. And so I think he went out there and showed that on the weekend and played with that sort of freedom. And uh, he is. He is showing what he can do in the midfield because he has played predominantly as a forward in the sample in the past and for the Crows. So it's great to see that he's getting the opportunity at the Eagles this year in the midfield and showed it again on the weekend when he had stints in there. Can I ask you, as a as a teammate, and Jimmy had, I think Jimmy played in the first of your two flags and then he went and was um, drafted by Adelaide, but can you notice a difference in his fitness from spending two years in the AFL system and then modelling his um his body type on midfielders now because he wanted to move into the midfield. When he won a premiership for the Eagles, he was just sitting around the forward line with a, a, a probably half forward was closest to the midfield that he got. But now he can. Can you notice a difference in his um, in his tank? Yeah, I think he got drafted uh, and then I got there the next year. But in speaking to players at the club, yeah. they said that, yeah, the, the capacity for him to play in the midfield might have been in stints, but certainly not full time. So it's something that he has worked on. And obviously being at AFL level, that you, you get that natural progression of fitness as well. and uh, But he certainly has come back in really good nick, and it's why he's playing the footy is at the moment. It's why he got the opportunity on the weekend, and it's why he won the medal. Your mate Joey Sinor spoke really well. You gave me some intel about um, him crying when the Crows lost the 2017 um, flag, and I asked him about that at training, which um, he was wondering where he got that mail from. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, we, we will get to what I liked in a second. I have got two. This was one of them. And so now that you've touched on it, uh, I do like that I gave you some intel. You brought it up with him and you had two cracks at it as well. And I, I looked at Joey's face and he was like, geez, where's he got this from? This is great information, great intel. So uh, that's a, that was a great chat. It's on the sample socials. So uh, I did enjoy that during the week. Well, well, thank well, you. well done. Well presented. Thank you for giving it to me. It was good to speak with him before we head into your, your other likes. Um, something that I didn't necessarily like. I know this is your segment, but to see the look on the, the face of Max Proud after getting injured and sitting there once the team was announced, I really really feel for him and that would be a really challenging time. I said to, to Twig on the Thursday night in the McGarry room, it's a celebration tonight where everybody's excited that they get the chance to wear that um, red jumper and run out onto Adelaide Oval and Max Proud had to just sit there and sit there through it thinking, well, he's not playing and as easy as it is to be part of a good environment, it's like being dropped for a grand final and it's like injuring yourself in a prelim and having to put on a brave face, a brave face for everyone else. It's really interesting and it's almost ironic because last year in the state game, he was just outside of the squad that was named yeah. and came in. He went to Tasmania, like I went to Melbourne on the weekend, had the weekend off, went to Tasmania with his partner, got the call up late, can you fly over to WA? flew over and played in the game. So it was the reverse this year for yep. him. So the emotions he's gone through the last two years of state footy is rather incredible. I know. Let's get into your likes. What are you liking at the moment, Dan Menzel? What I like from the weekend was the South Australian foot skills. Now, the state game showcases the best players from both leagues, and it showed to me again, and I think to a lot of AFL scouts out there, that there are many players playing in this league that could handle themselves at AFL level. If you can't kick the footy to a high level and you're not a key position player, then you won't play AFL. But that wasn't the case on the weekend. I thought the foot skills particularly of James Rowe, Darcy Bailey, Brett Turner used it well. 
Then even the likes of Mitch Hardy, who's coming through the ranks, Frederick was very good, Voss, Allen, McLennan, they are all really good distributors by foot. And it showcased on the weekend again that there's plenty of those guys that if one of them gets an opportunity, their skills are up to the level. I'm going to add a name to this too. And you mentioned James Rowe. The other thing I liked about Jimmy Rowe is he brought a little bit of mongrel to the game because at the start... Everybody was all happy and friendly and high-fiving. There was no push and shove. And it took James Rowe to push someone after the ball had been disposed of to actually have a little bit of biffo. And that's what state footy is all about, to show you got state pride on the line. I would never be able to do that because I'm I'm obviously not <laughs> tough. But I liked that. You know, you can shake hands at the end of the game, but you've yep. got to show what it means to you. You can't smile at the end of a state game. It didn't happen in our past. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting how it has changed. And uh, Jimmy definitely has that grunt. I know that. Sheeds loves that in him, and it's something that you know you're going to get from him. Joey Sino on the skipper is the same, but yeah, it's, it's good to see. Joey Sino was a little bit disappointed as well because he, you would have seen he has a big scab on his nose from um, probably an incident during a match, and he was worried about all the photos <laughs> and how he was going to look. Let's get into what you didn't like. So the SA foot skills across the park were really good. The thing I didn't like was the thing that nearly cost them the game, which was the last part of that, which was the goal kicking. Mm. Nearly, it nearly cost them, as I mentioned. They had eight consecutive points they kicked from late in the third quarter to midway through the fourth quarter until goals from Frederick and Ballenden sealed it. But they kicked eight goals, 16. It nearly cost them the game and would have tied up the, the ledger between SA and WA. It would have been a horrible way to finish two. Um, as you said, seven behind in that last quarter when WA were fighting back and it was just there. And that spark from Marty Frederick, which, which kind of turned everything around too. And he's uh, he's familiar with Adelaide Oval. He played a couple of games for the power in the AFL. So, um yeah, and I, I, I kind of like a little bit the symbolism of that because there are a lot of Port Adelaide supporters there getting ready for the AFL game at that point. So Marty yep. was able to kick it and get a big cheer from the Power fans too. So it was a really good state game and another win to South Australia. Um, and congratulations to the chairman of selectors in Timmy Ginova, but also the whole Sandful team that put on um, not just that match. And as you would know, men's it's everything leading up to it. It's the education, it's the training, it's the Guernsey presentation. Um, the team from West End and Kia were there too. So it's it's something that they'll look back on. And we said this on the night, that will never be the same team again. Next year, the state team will be different. So you'll be able to hold on to that. And they played highlights of when you guys went over to WA. And that's a moment that you'll never be able to replicate again in your life. So to to have that moment, and Tim Ginova said, to, to embrace the moment while you're in it is a really special thing to do, which you're a state player for life now. And so are those boys. And a, a winning state player, which is awesome. I was going to say that. that- to play state footy is incredible, but to add on top of that, the cherry on top is to get the win because you're going to celebrate afterwards anyway, being a part of the system and the setup, but it just makes it that much sweeter that, yep, I played for my state and we had a win and the camaraderie after the game, it's incredible. Now, not too far away, we are going to speak with South Adelaide Sandful W assistant coach Ben Yeomans, also Twiggy Rawlings, the Sandful coach who got his first win of the season coaching the Kia State team. And uh, we won't make, we won't say that when we speak to Twiggy, just in case he <laughs> responds poorly to that. I did ask him why um, there aren't any Tasmanians playing in the SA State team because all he drafts and recruits <laughs> is Tasmanians. Uh, and you're going to do a deep dive into what's happening in the future and the upcoming games in the Host Plus Sandful League. Before we take our first break, let's put the spotlight on the Sandful W. Because girls is players too. Just get money on the 
As you said, men's, it, it, it kind of happened the way that we wanted it to with an exciting end to the home and away rounds. It really did. Sturt uh, took on Glenelg. We talked about it uh, last week, Ben, in an elimination final. The winner gets in and... Boys Sturt were impressive. Nine goals, two fifty-six to two goals, four sixteen. So a good win from the Double Blues there. That puts them into fourth position on the table. They will be playing finals footy this weekend. We saw Norwood take on South Adelaide, and this is two teams that were bound for finals. Two teams that potentially it could have been a grand final preview. Uh, Norwood's been so good all year, and South just got the job done, and they did it again on the weekend. Another one-goal win over the Redlegs. The Eagles jumped off the bottom of the table, which was uh, important for them. They didn't win the spoon. They got over North Adelaide. And what that meant was Centrals have probably gone under the radar so far this year. I've finished in second position. were far too good for West Adelaide, who took out their back-to-back wooden spoons. Yep, and we will turn our attention to the first weekend of finals in the Host Plus Sandful League, uh, the Women's Sandful League. Next, when we catch up with the South Adelaide Sandful W assistant coach, Ben Yeomans, this is the Sandful Show on SENSA. On SENSA, welcome to the Sandful Show. Fierce rivalries. Nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. It is a Wednesday afternoon on SENSA. Nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. And, of course, the Sandful W2, the home and away rounds, have completed. We turn our attention to the finals and a dominant season from South Adelaide. Dan, we are joined by their assistant coach on the line right now, Ben Yeomans. Good morning to you, Ben. What an outstanding season, but the real stuff starts now. Yeah, good morning, guys. Yeah, it really does. So we're getting very excited now as we roll into it this weekend. Now, Ben, you got the job done in close ones over the two finalists over the past fortnight, Sturt and Norwood, the past couple of weeks. So it must give you a lot of confidence going into the first final this weekend. Yeah, it really does. The girls are really excited and everything starts to be uh, flowing nicely together and getting some continuity across the lines. And uh, obviously a couple of close ones, but uh, that seems to be our our forte this year is close games. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. So you've won four games this year by two points or less. I mean, that's an incredible statistic. Is is that experience? Is that uh, the girls under pressure performing and and getting the job done? Yeah, it's a uh, bit of more of experience coming across the lines, as you mentioned, and then a lot of training based stuff with. Um, surrounding close contests, being able to lock it down, really playing your role, and then just playing nice and safe with the football. So, as you said, several under two, and then we've had seven under ten points as well. So, Ben, it's the second minor premiership for the Panthers. Um, having a look at last season, last season you were six and six and made the top four. What's been the development and the growth of the team to leave you with that 10 and 2 result in 2023? Is it, has it been the, the younger players finding that natural development and growth or something else which has helped you finish minor premiers once again? No, last year, obviously, a few injuries came into it. So we had, uh, were fortunate enough to blood a fair few girls through the league system. And obviously moving forward, that's done the club a world of good. And then a few girls coming back from ACL, Sarai Moon, Georgia Hooper. And then a few more uh, senior girls coming across, like Stanner's come across, Gordon. Um, Caitlin Couch has come down and she's firing on all cylinders. So it's a combination of that mixed in with a, a big pre-season and a higher expectation level across the board. 
Now, Ben, semi-final this weekend, you take on Central Districts. The Dogs are the only team that's really got a hold of you this year. In round four, your girls took them on and lost 55 to 23. What's the learnings to come from that matchup? Yeah, they obviously had that game on their on their terms the whole way. Um, from obviously reflecting on that and then fine-tuning our game plans, um, that'll be something that we'll really lean on. And then obviously the learnings being uh, some of the fast entries that sort of got us coming back from turnovers uh, was a big one that we focused on. And then hopefully it all comes together this weekend for us. What's your overall thoughts on the league to date in 2023? There's been no interruptions due to COVID, which was consistent over the past couple of seasons. But um, we as as outsiders, but who have a, a huge passion of the Host Plus Sandful W League, can see a natural growth and evolution of women's football. You're getting more people to the games, but more supporters and more members, which is only a good thing. Well, 100%. I think, as you mentioned, the, the standards continually raising as well. And the, the youth that are coming through now are really coming through with sort of 10 years of football behind them. So the progression's coming now at a rapid pace and, and the exposure and experience of coaching staff that's coming through as well is obviously helping elevate that level. And then obviously now with the finances going into the system, it's now becoming a viable option. So girls are really investing as well. I've noticed as well, especially throughout the league, there's uh, a lot of basketballers are making the transition from NBL 1 and seeing an opportunity now in Sandful W, which, again, that pathway can lead into AFLW. We've seen so many examples across the whole Sandful W of people coming from other sports, getting an opportunity of something they grew up loving and then excelling, which... For your club, there's plenty of examples. So I'm, I'm sure that development and holding on to these players would just make South stronger. Yeah, correct. And obviously cross-coding is massive in the male space as well. And then, like I said, obviously this becoming now a financial um, ambition some of the girls have for it being a full-time job is obviously it's enticing now for girls to come across, really invest in their football and really, uh, really dive in with it. Now, Ben, do you need to head across to um, another office down at Panther Park and head to the, the men's team and say if you need any advice of um, getting a few more wins on the board or is that something which isn't broached by anybody in the women's team? No, obviously they're <laughs> different systems, but one club mentality. So we all work together in alignment and then obviously the systems in place, the boys will just really rely on and drive those into them. And then um, the wins obviously will be around the corner, same as anyone who's going through um, – just a lot of young guys coming through the system. I did notice that last year. I was lucky enough to be part of the, the Nucky Cup and to see the, the connection of the club. So the, to share those resources and IP as much as you have different football programs, um, it, it does provide a really solid foundation for a football club, not just men's and women's um, uh, organisations, but also for you juniors. Correct. And the club is really invested across all, all programs. And it's really great to be able to uh, converse with with the males programs, take some of the stuff that we do, um, incorporate with them, and then them incorporating it with us as well. So it's really good that it's there's no longer the female male separation. It's just all rolling into one club with both leadership groups working together. It's really good to see. Well, Ben, all the best this weekend. Your girls, South Adelaide, take on Central Districts at 12 o'clock on Sunday at Flinders University Stadium. Good luck this weekend and hopefully you can get a win and make it into the grand final. Norris, thanks for that. Much appreciated.
Uh, going to be a massive game as well. Um, men's, if you are keen to get along, so uh, entry is $10 with around-the-ground parking just for 5 bucks as well. So it's going to be an awesome game, and they've earned the right to get that double chance, which is awesome. They definitely have. Uh, they've been super impressive, as we touched on, in close games this year. So $10, it's $5 a game, because followed, following that South Adelaide Central District games is Norwood versus Sturt, also Flinders University. 210. So back to back double headers there. Nothing beats the host plus Sandful League. Last week on Friday afternoon at Adelaide Oval, South Australia ended up defeating the Sandgropers in the Kia State game. Their head coach and also the coach of Norwood, the Red Legs, Jade Rawlings, joins us next. On SENSA, welcome to the Sandful Show. Fierce rivalries. Nothing beats the host plus Sandful League. Nothing beats state pride as well. Dan Menzel, we are here on SENSA. It is another Sandful show. If you've missed any of it today, we chuck the podcast up too, so you can get it wherever you get your podcast. It was a celebration of everything great about South Australian football on Friday night at Adelaide Oval. South Australia, the West End State team getting the job done over WA in the Kia State game. You know what it takes to win state footy men. So before we throw to the head coach, Twiggy Rawlings, what is that feeling like when the siren sounds? I had a look to my left at the western side of Adelaide Oval to see the smiles on the players' faces. You can tell that state footy still means a lot to these boys. Yeah, it does. It's massive to be able to represent your state and play at that level, but also to play with guys of that caliber as well. And it's not just the game, it's the whole lead up to it. It's everything that goes along with it that makes it such an incredible few weeks and uh, an incredible result when you get over the line like they did on the weekend. Now, Jade Rawlings is now South Australian because he's the winning coach of the state team. So we can get it, forget about the Tasmanian stuff. We can hold on to that. But you're now a South Aussie. And we should say, in all seriousness, uh, your first win of the season, which hopefully really starts the ball rolling for Norwood as well. Congratulations to you, coach. Now, how are you feeling on reflection after a sensational but nerve-wracking game in the end? No, it was a really good performance. I've heard what Dan just said then about what it feels like for a player and that's what it felt it was for players that played on Friday night that we uh, built them up and prepared them about the opportunity they had and what's gone before them. And, yeah, when the time of need was there, which was pretty, pretty much in the last quarter when the game was online, they had a spirit which was... Evident, and uh, yeah, we're able to pull away in the last couple of minutes to win by a couple of goals, so it was uh, very satisfying. So, Twig, well done, first of all, for, for getting the win and, and doing a great job. You're obviously involved last year in the state program as well. Question uh, I want to ask for a lot of people out there who might not be aware how much of a game plan do you implement in these sort of games? Uh, if I touch on WA for a second, they had a clear directive to flick the ball around, to handle it and use it by hand, how much uh, from a coach do you implement? Yeah, there's obviously limitations with how long the group were together. Like we got the group together the week building into round six. So there was a session on the Tuesday and then allowed the fullness of form over that round to be able to be concluded before we pick the final squad. And then we had two sessions building into the game. And yeah, I think if you think you're going to be able to come up with some whiz bang game style is going to win a game of state footy within a week and a half two weeks you're kidding yourself so we had some framework about where we wanted to, um, the players to go about it and to be quite honest it was done probably better than what I expected there's not one element of um, individualism or people trying to go outside of what was asked of them and that's been the fitting of the South Australian footy for a long time the way we sort of researched it so 
um, we had a framework. The players were able to work within that and express themselves throughout the game. So we thought it was done really well given the, the period of time we had together. I also think that's a reflection and a credit to your coaching, Twig, because you've obviously said to the players that you trust their ability and trust they can do what it takes to um, perform for the team. So how important is that when it comes to coaching in 2023 to actually um, to show your players how much you believe in them and trust them to do what they are supposed to do on a match day? Well, it's interesting when you stand in front of a group that's the best players in South Australia currently in this second tier footy, it's quite easy to ask them to get a few things done because you're dealing with mature men who have been around the block a few times. And yeah, well, it's a big difference when you're coaching young men who are still trying to um, get that consistency and um, earn the trust from them that they can do it under pressure and re- keep repeating their efforts. But when you're dealing with guys who are physically conditioned, which means they're mentally conditioned and have the ability to influence games at the level of footy, there's not many concerns in that, that regard. So they ought to talk to them about how they come together and uh, enjoy the experience of playing together. And drop the, we spoke about dropping the guard in relation to Clubland for a week. Like we all had pretty high patriotism towards our clubs, but that wasn't going to help us perform better for South Australia. So um, we thought we set it up pretty well with how we included uh, certain people within the coaching group and engaged other people to come and speak to the group throughout the two weeks. And yeah, the result was there that it showed when the game was on the line, the pressure was there that their spirit and their ability to stay connected was what probably helped us get over the line. Seems like there was a lot of buy-in too. I'm just an outsider that um, hung around like a bad smell at, at training and also um, at the jumper presentation. But to see the the connectivity of the group and they, they genuinely seemed like they just enjoyed each other's company. When when selecting the team alongside Tim Ginever, it did their character have anything to do with their football skill too? That they yeah, they can all do what it takes on the football field, but they, they do need to have that character to work together and trust one another? Yeah, that was something we just kept ticking off in the selection process. We'd met consistently over five weeks to make sure we kept tabs on who was where within the comp, who make sure we had the true reflection of what real form was and the, the process we kept going through was is this person going to embrace the program are they going to really value the opportunity play for Australia and that was able to bear fruit and yeah we watched the players really enjoy each other's company and you got some quieter fellas in there it's not their most natural habitat to be extroverted and meet new people but over the course of the two weeks it felt as though the group had uh, a, developed a level of respect and trust for each other through that little period. Now, Twig, we touched on earlier on the show about some of the players' foot skills and, and they certainly could still play at the level. I want to know if there's anyone from this game that stood out to you that potentially should be at the next level. Yeah, I think it was one of the most key features of the game, men's, was the kicking skills. I thought they were exceptional. It's, when you've seen the ball being moved one into the ground by foot and with speed, it's a lot of it reflected an AFL level game at times. And yeah, I think Jimmy Rowe plays above the level like he's, you know, him well and he's I just think sometimes people are too good for the level and he plays AFL footy at a SNFL level and that game the other day was exceptional. Twenty odd kicks, eleven marks as a forward, as a small forward and, and his work ethic was noticeable with it's his decision making and with the exception of missing a set shot on three quarter time, which I think we all would have banked, he uh, hardly made a mistake. I was really impressed with Marty Frederick. Thought he was another player that moves and makes decisions that like an AFL player. So I was really impressed with how he went about it. And Will Kumbulis has become a good player. He consistently wins his one-on-one as a defender, both at club level, and he did at state level twice now since I've been involved in the program. And he was a player that I was really impressed with as well. But I thought the consistency, we didn't have many passengers. Harvey and Boyd shared the ruck, did a good job. I thought Lewis inside was 
really important. Sign or led like a captain the way we asked him to. McQueen's first half was full of leadership and presence, and Ballenden was able to present himself late in the game. So I think most players would say they had had good moments. And even like Harrison Magor as a 21-year-old was able to, after probably quarter time, look really look comfortable at the level. We spoke to Joey Sinor last week and I asked you about him on Thursday. Geez, he's such an impressive person with a really good story, which kind of reflects um, never giving up and, and never losing sight of an opportunity. And he, he played really well. I'm sure you're proud of him. I think it's a story that every SNFL list of players should hear. Jared, to be quite frank, because when you're looking at Joe's two-time premiership player, captain of his 500-game player that he spent three to four years playing in the reserves and questioning whether he was good enough to play at the level. That is the type of story that should inspire others, that it doesn't come to you straight away just because you want it. If you persist and develop and grow your footy at reserves level and, and trust your club and people who are running the club, then who knows where your career can go and it doesn't mean you have to make it as a 19 or 20-year-old straight away. And I feel a lot of young people these days feel so if they haven't made it in their first year, it's failure. And it's not the case. And uh, I think the sign-off quality of person and story in relation to his career is a great example for young people looking to emerge and forge a career in SNFL footy. Twig, can I change direction just for a little bit before we let you go? Um, we've seen what's happened in the AFL system over the past seven days with, with Damien Hardwick and Alistair Clarkson. You've been in the AFL system. You're now a, a head coach in the Sandfall and, of course, um, the, the Kia State game winning coach for the West End State team. How challenging is it being a head coach of a football club, no matter the level that you are at? And do you need more support externally? I'm not not talking financially or anything, but there's a lot of stuff we don't see about the challenges that you face as a person with your challenging job. Uh, If people want to make comment about how easy or hard the job is and they haven't sat in the chair, then they have no right to make comment. It just staggers me that people think they know what the job is when they haven't done it. And I've worked under a number of coaches over a number of years and when they have a group around them that they feel genuine alignment and trust with, they can then do their job properly. Now, there are so many factors at the next level that you have to consider when it comes to the media, the the expectation that gets set by the media. Like Michael Voss at the moment is being critiqued against what is the media expectation. So that's what everyone has to now... Hold him, apparently hold him to account where he was engaged by a club for three years to do a job and his president was terrific, I thought, the other day in saying he's brought some great things to the club and he will be uh, our coach to his full tenure and that's exactly the type of support clubs need to provide coaches because who, who keeps copping it in the neck when they're under the pump? They go straight to the coach every time, no matter what they've done in the past. Um, now, sometimes, yeah, results bring pressure upon clubs and individuals but incredibly tough job and the two areas that probably were sacrificed post-COVID were recruiting and coaching and the, those structures that were in coaching departments prior to COVID were there for a reason because they work and it's what helps the coach do his job and the soft cap's been reduced and that makes it harder for the coach to be the coach he wants to be for his club and his players. So yeah, I'm quite passionate about it because I've seen how it works, I've seen how it doesn't work and uh, yeah, I just... I think for anyone to try and critique whether it's a good, easy, hard or whatever job, until you've sat in the chair, I just think it's hard to go and make accurate comment about it. Love that answer, Twig, and you're right. It's great passion. And uh, before we let you go, just want to change uh, tack quickly here and just ask about Norwood. Now, you take on Adelaide this Friday night. What's the message to the group now? You're obviously 0-6, which is a bit of a surprise probably to the group, but... Where is the directive uh, going from here for the rest of this season? All about what we can do moving forward. There's, um, 
a whole host of factors that contribute to where we're at at the moment and um, that don't need to be discussed publicly. But, yeah, it's not easy. You, you guys have lived it. It's not easy to get to where we got to last year and then going back it up. That's why what you guys did at Eagles is outstanding because it is so hard to do to keep meeting the level. And when you deal with the remnants of what we got done last year, there's always prices to pay for the next year with availability and surgery and injury and conditioning and all those extra factors. And we've got some new players that come in that are still learning what it takes to be a player in this comp. So that's part of the reasons where we're at. But I'm all about what we can do moving forward. I'm not into dwelling and into what we haven't done. I'm about what, we, what the group can do. And just come off of a week where players have been able to have some time away and we launch into the next block of games. We just keep looking forward and, and trying to be as positive about what the group can do moving forward and trying to establish some stability and consistency within the team. Well, good luck, Twig, and congratulations once again, uh, not just on the Kia State game, but the, the way you carry yourself. I'm always blown away from it, mate. If I was good at football and I can't kick a football, I would want to play for you. So we <laughs> yes. appreciate your honesty, especially in regards to um, the way you spoke about the coaches. It's absolutely outstanding, and you're a credit to your football club and your family, mate. So, Jade Rawlings, thanks for your time on The Sample Show. Uh, very kind. Thanks, fellas. On SENSA, welcome to The Sample Show. Fierce rivalries. Nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. Uh, been a massive show too. Jared Walsh here alongside Dan Medzel in Studio Lumo. Nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. If you missed it, we have caught up with South Adelaide Sandful W assistant coach Ben Yeomans and he, uh, the Norwood coach and, of course, the coach of the West End State team, Jade Rawlings. All of them will be on the podcast. Now, Men's, I know you've done a week's worth of homework. You pretended you went to Melbourne to do some other work for your business, but... You've done a deep dive into the Host Plus Sandful League teams for the next couple of games. I want you to hold on to that until next week because this is an in-depth analysis and preview of what's coming up for the next couple of rounds. Right now, what we need to do is preview the upcoming games with your tips. So here's the fancy music. Footy tips don't improve my life one bit, and so I wonder why I do it. What is the benefit? I would say it makes my life worse. What do you got for us, men's? So the first game of the round is Friday night footy. It's at Cooper Stadium. Norwood take on Adelaide. We just spoke with Twig Rawlings. I think they'll be much better this week, Norwood. Freshen up. That's what you need sometimes when you've had a few losses. But I think Adelaide are so strong in this competition. I still think they'll get the job done. So do I. And then it's it's 0-7 for the Red Legs, which isn't good. It's just bad luck they're playing Adelaide at the moment because they are white hot. Uh, what about West Adelaide taking on your boys, Woodville West Torrens? Yeah, really like what West Adelaide's done and have mentioned this in the past on this show that they've been super this year. Their defence has really tightened up, but I think the Eagles are starting to tick now, starting to get some guys back in form. I think the Eagles obviously will be too strong. I think uh, the Eagles and I think uh, Menzel bag of goals. I'm just saying, I haven't said that on this show this week, and there you go. I've said it. I've said it, everyone. I'm due. There you go. Uh, (laughs) What about the doggies and the tigers? Yeah, look, Centrals have been really good at home. They've won all three at home and lost all three away. Now, they play at home this week, so it bodes really well for them. However, the tigers have won five wins on the trot, so I think they will continue their winning ways. They are so impressive at the moment, Glenelg, and I think in a hard-fought game, they'll get the chocolates there. North Adelaide and Port Adelaide? 
Yeah, look, I think North Adelaide needs to bounce back. They've had an ordinary three or four weeks, and I think we'll see that back at home this week at Prospect. In this game last year at Prospect, they won by 120 points. We spoke to Ben Yeomans about the struggling form of South Adelaide, and they take on the top of the table, double blue. So that's going to be a challenge at Flinders University Stadium, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, stranger things have. They've been leaking 105 points a game over the last month of footy, and they're coming up against Sturt, who has the second-best offense in the comp. I think Sturt will be too good. Mans, this has been outstanding speaking with you. Nothing beats the Host Plus Sandful League. Head out, enjoy a game. Good luck this weekend, and I'm looking forward to your deep dive next week. Um, be safe, my friend, and I'll catch you next Wednesday. Thank you, Walshie.